Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. podcast with me Carly hope you are all well witches so sorry I've been AWOL if I'm honest I had a complete blank on what to cover for podcast episodes around Samhain just nothing felt relevant and I'll be really honest I've decided to not put out any episodes that I feel are kind of like filler podcast episodes I did toy with putting something out but it just felt rubbish And it's a bit like my stance on conversation in real life. If it feels like small talk, I don't really do it, which feels the same for the podcast. And I feel like if I don't feel interested in making it, I don't think that you witches will be interested to hear it. I'm sorry, I wish I was a bit more of a consistent podcaster. And, you know, some weeks I just don't feel that I've got anything to talk about, no matter how hard I try. I'm so grateful though for you witches listening to the podcast. The point I'm making is I just don't want to put content out that I don't think that you will benefit from or learn something along with me on because most of the podcast episodes I'm forever learning things on. Some topics that we approach I know next to nothing on. So really just don't want to create anything for the sake of it. I don't want to waste your time or intelligence, basically. Not that it had any effect on me not putting out a podcast, but I had a lot of lovely messages from you in relation to the saga with my cat, Taro, and his forays into country life since we relocated. It's really strange, and I'm really sad to say that after that episode, he went missing and hasn't returned. So we can only assume that my little boy has passed away, (laughs) sorry. It was a really strange time. The run up to Samhain, I dreamt about him every night for around two weeks. So I do feel that he came back to say goodbye. So I just wanna say, RIP Tarot, I hope you are hunting for huge big bunnies in the sky big man, you were so loved. So I'm so glad that he got to live his best life for a very short period of time here. But yes, RIP Tarot. In other news, I started earlier this year a course with the Order of Ovates, Bards and Druids. And I started a course as an Ovate, which is a year's course and then you can if you get accepted train as a druid 
I am not so worried about kind of like titles or anything like that, but I was just so fascinated in regards to what the course covers. You might have noticed the direction of the podcast that we have gone down more primal paths in respect of topics. And this again is definitely reflected in my witchcraft practice currently. I used to specifically work with Hecate and the Morrigan for a long time, but I reached a point in my craft where, and my life, where I was a lot less fire and brimstone. Not to say that you need to be like that to work with either deity, but I definitely needed these deities in my life at a certain time. As my nervous system calmed down and life changed, I started to feel more of a connection with the goddess overall, which again links to ancestral connections, I guess. And it's become more of a heathen type practice, which just feels right for me. I started to have a bit of a strange fixation on the Christian religion and how they relate to one God. And I guess that. I started to look at this with me honouring the goddess overall in all of her forms. I think it made me more inclined to pray and honour her and also within time in nature because I could see her in all things. I don't know really where I'm going with this. I still hold Hecate and the Morrigan in reverence, still provide them offerings. I'm so grateful for everything they brought me through, but I even think they might have thought she's at a different stage in her life now. Anyway, the Druid studies that I'm working on have made me connect with the land so much more. The more I read about what the Druids of old studied in ancient times, the more I realised how much us witches can relate. I love witchcraft overall, but the parts of the craft that have always made me feel so alive are learning about herbs, trees, animals and folklore. And I realised when I learned more about the Druids, this is exactly what the Bards and Ovates of times long gone were doing. You might, like me, be surprised how much connection there is between us witches and ovates when you hear this episode, because I certainly was. It thrills me to think that there was a time when our ancients spent decades observing the patterns of the stars, the moon, the sun, the cycles of the earth. No shade, but it actually made me think how basic the principles of Christianity must have seemed when it took over in comparison to Druidry that held nature as a church, the canopy of stars and the moon as a heaven, and the earth as a portal to an other world that could connect us with spirits of all beings. I also wonder if this form of spirituality could have been able to continue on a mass scale, how much more we would know and understand in relation to the world around us. It's actually quite shambolic that it had to go underground and be so stilted, but thank the goddess for those who continue to keep the spirit of these earth and ancestor lessons within them and pass them down so we can continue to work with them in this day and age. Anyway, (laughs) 
I would get off my soapbox. But in a nutshell, today's episode is about druids. It will be a first episode on this topic as there is a ton to get into. Don't worry, I haven't gone so deep down the rabbit hole that we won't have our same normal episodes in the near future. Just hopefully this might be a good introduction into the ancient druids. We're also going to look at modern day druids. But it is a chance to look at how intertwined this all is, in my humble opinion, with the craft today. Without further ado, first today we have our book review, which is Dowry of Blood by S.T. Gibson. This is the book's blurb. This is my last love letter to you, though some would call it a confession. Saved from the brink of death by a mysterious stranger, Constanta is transformed from a medieval peasant into a bride fit for an undying king. But when Dracula draws a cunning aristocrat and a starving artist into his web of passion and deceit, Constanta realises that her beloved is capable of terrible things. Finding comfort in the arms of her rival consorts, she begins to unravel their husband's dark secrets. With the lives of everyone she loves on the line, Constanza will have to choose between her own freedom and her love for her husband. But bonds forged by blood can only be broken by death. So with Samhain season, I immersed myself into this gothic horror. It has long been on my list to read and once again the library came through with a copy. I specifically wanted to read this book as I have real fond memories of sneaking into the old school first class carriages on packed trains back from central London when I was younger and reading Interview with a Vampire one autumn. The wind was like howling through the carriages and the darkness made it the perfect atmosphere for a vampire read. This book, however, was like Pornhub mixed in with vampires and I was 1000% here for it. I felt like the old pervy granddad, Herbert the Pervert in Family Guy reading this book. I was probably dribbling (laughs) at certain scenes. I will admit I spend so much time reading witchcraft fiction and non-fiction. It's rare I get to read something with scenes in it like this. And I was surprisingly here for it. This book was unreal. It was dark, rich and beautiful. I felt like I was right there alongside Constanta as she transformed from death into life as a vampire. Dracula initially did strange things to me. Again, I reverted into Herbert the pervert from Family Guy until we start to realise he is a controlling, narcissistic twat. This book comes with a trigger warning for anyone who has experienced a controlling, toxic partner. You can literally sense Constanta and the fellow brides walking on eggshells around Dracula as he lords it up and tells them what's what. And it certainly brought back similar emotions I have had through dating my own energy vampires. The writing style is something else, so beautiful. And I felt as though I were in a different time 
You cannot help but love Constanta and the other brides, and you can sense the love between the three of them. It is palpable through the pages. Let's talk about the blood for which there is so much of. There is so much gore and violence, but I quite liked it, worryingly. Sadly, no witchcraft within this book, but this is my last horror fiction read before I am turning my intentions specifically towards non-fiction witchcraft books and the like. But wow, what a read for the dark seasons. I cannot recommend enough. Join me after the break to talk all about the Druids. people and animals talk to each other and take on each other's shapes in which trees communicate through their own language a language which you can learn to speak and read it is a world of visions spirit guides journeys into the other worlds ancestral teachers past lives and gods who are at once ancient and ever young such is the world of the druid that is by Philip Shawcross from Druidry. The first period of Druidry was at the dawn of time. Druids were a high-ranking priestly class within the ancient Celtic cultures. The spirituality was animistic and shamanic. There are four different periods of Druidry. Proto-Druidry, Classical Druidry, Druidry Underground and Revival Druidry. Proto-Druidry was a period where megalithic structures and great stone circles were built across Ireland, Britain and some parts of Europe. 400 BCE to 100 BCE was a period where Greek and Roman writers documented the classical Druidry period. At this period, it was highly organised, unlike megalithic times of early Druidry, where the Druid shaman would have been the doctor, priest and keeper of all the tribal law. Strabo wrote in 20 CE of the Druids being split into three classes, Bardoi, the bards who were specialists in the arts, the Ovetes, who specialised in prophecy, divination and the natural world, otherwise known as Ovates, and the Druidi, Druids, who specialised in philosophy, teaching, counselling and judicial tasks. They were polytheistic, meaning they worshipped many gods and goddesses, and their religion was shamanic, relying on connecting with the spirit world and herbal medicine. The curriculum for bards varied regionally throughout Wales, Scotland and Ireland. Bards would study for 12 years in Ireland with an expectation that they would know the four arts of poetry, 
and off by heart 120 orations, which are speeches given on ceremonial occasions, along with 350 stories. They would focus on sound. They were the storytellers who would combine music and their words. They held the memories of the tribe, the keepers of tradition, and ensured heritage was kept alive. Their memories were stretched to accumulate many stories and poems, law, laws, and tribe genealogy. One duty was for them to be super record keepers, the other to inspire others and be inspired. They were expected to create their own poems and tales whilst being entrusted with knowledge of the sacred power of the sacred word. Records from the Western Highlands show how bards used a form of sensory deprivation, time spent in complete darkness to seek out inspiration for poetry and tales. This also helped with their divination abilities to see into the future. They would attempt to reach the depths and heights of consciousness, to influence the world with their work that foreshadowed that of the ovate and the druid. They ensured the spirit of druidry was carried and remained throughout the centuries with their spoken word when the light of the ovate and druid could not be seen within the world. Despite being the starting point in the druid training, bards were by no means considered lowly or bottom of the pecking order. Many accomplished bards were highly revered and partook in many of the functions of the druid and ovate. They were responsible for the memory of the tribe. Year one of their training in Ireland, a bard was expected to learn the Ogham tree alphabet, 20 stories off by heart, grammar and overall the basics of the bardic arts. The first year of their training, they were considered a principal beginner or O'Leary. They then progressed to a poet's attendant or Taman, then to apprentice satirist or Drissac. In year six, they were referred to as pillars. Over the following three years, they were referred to as noble streams or Anruth. The final three years, they were considered a doctor of poetry or olam. At the beginning of their training, they would carry a bronze branch. As an anruf, they would carry a silver branch. As an olam, a gold branch. These branches had bells attached to them, and upon entering a hall, the bard would be accompanied by the sound of bells, signifying for the audience to be silent, but also summoned the help of the inner realms. To ensoul the forthcoming poem or story the bard was about to recite. Each of the three groups are symbolised by a tree. The birch tree for the bard, often known as the pioneer tree. The first tree to plant if you are upon forest virgin land. It was often used to make babies' cradles and within divination it signifies birth and new beginnings, along with clearing out the old and making way for the new. Birch trunks were often used to make maypoles and symbolise the bard weaving their magic with song and word. The direction of the bard was west. 
This is the direction that the circle of the baths was entered, so lends further association to the place of entrance, beginnings, the receptive feminine west that faces the east where the sun rises. Time associated with the bard is spring and dawn, times of beginning, a new cycle, learning a new experience. Much focus was put on the strength of memory within bard's training. The sacred words they worked with had to have the power to nourish, heal, create, command, cut through, purify, invoke, provoke, unite, deter and bind and would be utilised by them on behalf of their king, queen, patron, druid, the god or goddess. Training of the bard in Scotland and Wales was similarly disciplined to Ireland yet different in curriculum and grades. Alongside poetry and storytelling, the bard also created music and danced. It's believed a reflection of this carried on into folk dancing, Morris dancing, and perhaps remains in the Abbots Bromley horn dance that we discussed on the Horned Goddess episodes. In proto-Druid times, instruments like flutes were made from bird bones. Flutes made from eagle bones were found in Scotland. They likely banged stones on hollow ringing rocks in order to create a bell-like sound. During the Bronze Age, they had a horn instrument called a dord, similar in sound to an Aboriginal didgeridoo. Animal skin drums were also used that evolved into the boron and two claves. Overall, the bards learn in the first stage of training all about the heart of druidry, a deeply creative training that also focused on creating works of art in all its forms to include music, song and poetry. Druid teachings were encoded throughout their stories and passed down across the centuries, much like oral indigenous spiritual traditions across the globe. Christian scribes later documented much of the Bard's teachings, ensuring they were further preserved, despite the Druids never converting them into written form. The Christian scribes did, however, naturally omit and distort certain pieces of work. However, the essence of the Druid teaching still remained to live on. When Christianity triumphed, the bard was able to hide in plain sight and could claim to be a mere minstrel or poet, yet they would retain the tradition within their hearts and hidden in their music and words. The second grade of the Druid training was as an ovate. Ovates studied the mysteries of death and rebirth, divined the future, transcended time, communicated with ancestors and studied herb tree and animal law. They incorporated the elements and solar, lunar and stellar power into their application of natural remedies, but also drew on their power in augury. They would perform divination observing the behaviour and flight patterns of birds and the shape of clouds, which Irish Druids referred to as Neldoract. I tried to find the pronunciation of this, but of course couldn't find it. 
They observe the weather, sort out images in water and fire, alongside more complex forms of divination, such as using soil cast on a sheet or drum skin. They would observe signs and any associated feelings, a similar practice to tea leaf or coffee reading. So I found one account and it had an Irish Druid form of divination was for the diviner to be wrapped in bull's hide to aid their clairvoyance. And it was a practice called Tarb Fay. This was in that particular account. However, and I'm so sorry to all our Irish listeners because I could not find the pronunciation for this. And I'm sure my Irish ancestors are turning in their graves at my pronunciation on most of the podcasts with any Irish words that come up. I did, however, find another account from Laura O'Brien, who is a good go-to in respect of Irish mythology and the like, who explained that Tarbfay actually means bull feast, but it still links to divination. This is from The Destruction of the Durgas Hostel, translated by Whiteley Stokes in 1910. A bull feast is gathered by the men of Erin in order to determine their future king. That is a bull used to be killed by them and thereof one man would eat his fill and drink its broth and a spell of truth was chanted over him in his bed. Whosoever he would see in his sleep would be king and the sleeper would perish if he uttered a falsehood. So a bull was killed, a seer would eat his fill of the flesh and drink the broth, the liquid in which the meat had been cooked, probably with some blood added into and lie down for a sleep. And a truth spell was chanted over him as he lay in his bed and he would dream of the person who would be the true king. So it's also written that there were four druids who did the chanting. The ovate would divine for water sources with a hazel wand. These would be revered by the druids, firstly as a supply of drinking water, but springs demonstrated the source of life springing up out of the body of Mother Earth. They also considered them as gateways to the other world. They would also seek out metallic ore. During the Celtic period, they would use iron and bronze. The Ove overall was responsible for seeking out and finding much that was hidden within the physical and spiritual realms. The wisdom of the spirit, plant and animal world for the benefit of all the tribe. Classical writer Strabo wrote of the ovate as being an interpreter of nature. Ovates were the seers, prophets, time travellers, herbalists, midwives and healers. Where the bards... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're considered shamans who opened doors with the power of the sacred word. The Ovate was a shaman who opened the doors of time. The English word ovate derives from many terms that classical writers used, such as vates, uatis, and uages, which all possibly originate from the Indo-European word uats, meaning to be inspired or possessed. The ovate would draw upon their knowledge of herbs and spells to cure disease within both humans and livestock. They were the epitome of the overall view of the witch. When the Druids went underground with the coming of Christianity, it is likely that the Ovates were the source of much knowledge that was passed down to generations of healers, followers of the old ways. These people would have been known as the cunning folk, still found in Britain up to the 1930s. The ovate concept of time was akin to the understanding now offered within new physics and radically different to that of the time of post-enlightenment. The belief in cyclicity was central to the worldview of the ancient Druids. Their belief in reincarnation was shared with Eastern religions. Caesar wrote of the Druids in De Bello Gallico, the cardinal doctrine which they seek to teach is that souls do not die, but after death pass from one to another. And this belief, as the fear of death, is thereby cast aside. They hold to be the greatest invective to valour. Diodorus quotes Posidonius here on the Druid belief. The souls of men are immortal and that after a definite number of years they live a second life when the soul passes to another body. In the second century, Philostratus noted that the Celts believed that to be born in this world you had to have died in the other world, meaning when we die in this world our birth into the other world follows and is celebrated. The Ovate would seek to enter the other world to converse with the ancestors who held a repository of tribal wisdom. This would provide the Ovate with guidance in respect to the future and support on behalf of the tribe. For all their association with death, it was equally essential to connect with new life and regeneration. They had a deep knowing that to be born, you have to die in either the literal or figurative sense. Death of a way of being to be reborn into a deeper experience of being alive. So it made sense for the Ovate to study matters relating to tree law, herbalism and healing for the plant world is a great example of birth, death, rebirth, sacrifice and transmutation. In many respects, the ovates were a form of psychotherapist. They applied natural laws to the body and psyche. They knew only too well that if the heart, mind and body is disconnected from nature, we suffer. 
The work of Ovates and Druidry overall really was at the cutting edge of soul therapies. They also encouraged the flow of Nuifra throughout the body, a Druid term for life force, which is known as Chi or Prana in the East. Little is known of how long the Ovate studied for. The classical authors failed to write much on this grade of the Druid training, yet it would have been intense for the Ovate training was vast. So the yew tree is representative of the Ovate. Associations of the yew tree are deaf, for they are deadly poisonous and often seen in the graveyard. They are considered a tree of eternity and reincarnation. Druids considered them symbolic of death, rebirth and the eternal process of renewal. The Ovate's main focus was studying the art of healing, which aligns with the use power of renewal. So there is going to be a follow up episode on the Druids because there's so much more to get into on this topic. We will look a little bit at the Druid studies, but we are going to cover more on this on the second episode, along with their sacred trees and so on. Caesar wrote of it taking around 20 years for a Druid to complete their course of study. The bards were taught the oral literature, meaning it was spoken or sung instead of being written down, which culminated in not one certifiably ancient verse surviving. Everything was communicated orally. Julius Caesar believed the motives with this were to ensure druidic knowledge wouldn't become common, but also meant the druid's memory faculty would be improved due to having to remember so much. Druids were top of the grade. They would oversee ceremonies relating to the solstices and turns in the wheel of the year. They would also act as judges and perform rituals. They would act as advisors and teachers to kings, queens and nobility. Overall, they were religious leaders, authorities, educators, law keepers, medical professionals and political advisors. Their beliefs and practices were never documented by them, despite being known to be literate. It's believed that this was prevented from doctrine by recording their knowledge in writing. Romans, Greeks and other fellow contemporaries documented their beliefs and practices. The first reference to the Druids dates back to the 4th century. The oldest detailed description of the Druids stems from the work of Julius Caesar from around 50 BCE. Pliny the Elder also wrote of the Druids. He believed the word Druid to be linked to meaning oak knower or oak seer. Druid as a word was also said to be cognate with the old Irish word for sorcerer. The most popular view is that the word Druid comes from the Irish Gaelic word doya, meaning oak tree, a symbol of knowledge and a tree highly sacred to the Druids. In Middle Welsh, the word for Druid linked to seer or wren. The wren link could connect to the practice of augury, the practice we mentioned of observing birds to interpret omens from their behaviour. The Welsh word for oak was very similar to the word for Druid also. 
So this is from the Book of English Magic by Philip Cargom and Richard Haygate. The term druid has been translated as magician or forest sage, but originally it probably meant strong seer or wise person of the oak. Now this book I cannot recommend enough. We have had it on a book review. So that's the Book of English Magic, Philip Cargom and Richard Haygate. I reference this book so often on the show. I also recommend by Philip Cargom, again, Druid Mysteries, Ancient Wisdom for the 21st Century. I will put both in the show notes. The reason that I reference his work so much on this episode is because he was Chief Druid of the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids, who I'm doing my course with. Again, I have no association with the order of bars ovates and druids i'm not trying to sell to you to do a course i'm just doing a course and i just really felt it was worthwhile getting into the topic of druids i always laugh because me and my friend are doing this course together so we kind of perform a lot of the rituals together and so on and i can never remember like the proper name of the group so i always see it like shortened to O-B-O-D and it just always sat in my mind as odd bods so I always call it the odd bods. (laughs) I'm really sorry but yeah it just always makes me giggle. Anyway back to the show Carly. The Greeks and Romans agreed that the Druids played a key part within pagan Celtic society. They were highly revered, considered philosophers, men learned in religious affairs, investigators of obscure and profound subjects with their domain in natural and moral philosophy. The Greeks and Romans considered the Druids more primal and less civilized to themselves, which is reflected in much of their writing. This could have been to make themselves look far more superior, however. Julius Caesar wrote that the Druids were one of the two most important social groups in the region alongside nobility. He documented how they would hold responsibility for organising worship, sacrifice, divination and judicial procedures in British, Irish and Gaelic societies. Druids held the power to excommunicate individuals from religious festivals, make people socially outcasts, but also they were so respected that they could stop battles from taking place should they intervene between the two opposing armies. In respect of military service, Druids were always exempt. They were also not expected to pay taxes. First temples of the Druids were said to be caves. They had conical mounds where they may have left offerings from the harvest and barrow mounds to house the dead, but possibly also used for initiation of the living. Pomponius Mella wrote of the Druids holding secret instructions that took place in caves or forests. Other classical writers documented how Druids worshipped in sacred groves of oak trees and would ritually cut mistletoe from the boughs of the oak trees. Greek and Roman writers wrote of the Druids' practice of human sacrifice. 
Caesar wrote of their preference to sacrifice thieves or criminals overall, but should they be in short supply, an innocent would do. He also wrote of their use of a wicker man, a large wooden entity full of victims who would be inside it and burn alive. I'm experiencing deep regret for referring to the order of Ovates, Bards and Druids as the Odd Bods. It is, I'm so sorry if any of you are studying this, have studied this, have association with it. It is just my brain. It's saw O-B-O-D. And from that day forward, it was Odd Bods. And I'm going to stop calling it that. And it's really disrespectful. And I'm sure that there are, <laughs> I'm sure Druids didn't study for 20 years for an oik like me to refer to the modern day order of it as odd bods so I'm very sorry in the 10th century Comenta Benencia differed in his account of druid sacrifices stating they would make sacrifices to the gods Teutates, Isis and Tyrannis now Teutates is a Celtic god worshipped primarily in ancient Gaul and Britain his name meant God of the tribe, and he was considered a protector of the tribe. Roman writer Lucan also wrote of the Gauls offering sacrifices to him along with other deities. Isis was another Britonic and Gaulish god said to be a sun saviour, closely associated to Jupiter or Zeus. Tyrannus was a god of thunder, primarily worshipped in Gaul, Hispania, Britain, Ireland, Rhineland and Danube. He was a bearded god depicted with a thunderbolt in one hand and a wheel in the other. Lucan and Comenta Benencia both wrote of the sacrifices being carried out through drowning, hanging and burning in that order. The later scholiasts elaborate on Lucan. They elicit the information that Tyrannus was propitiated by burning, Teutates by drowning, and Isis by means of suspending his victims from trees and ritually wounding them. The Norse god Odin is also associated with the threefold death. Human sacrifices to Odin were hung from trees. Odin is said to have hung himself and while falling impaled himself on his spear in order to learn the secrets of the runes. In Gaul, mass graves were found that were believed to be found in a ritual context dating back to this period that the excavator believed were sacrifices made to a war god. A fellow archaeologist disputed these claims, believing them more likely to be the remains of honoured warriors. Across Western Europe, there has been archaeological evidence found to indicate these sacrifices could have been made. It is heavily argued, however, that the Greeks and Romans likely created their own narrative around the Druids, tarnishing them in their writing with performing barbaric acts in a way to give the Greeks and or Romans some form of cultural superiority. In their writing, they also created other negative narratives relating to the Jews and Christians, perhaps in the same vein. Diogenes Laetius in the 3rd century AD wrote that Druids make their pronouncements by means of riddles and dark sayings, 
teaching that the gods must be worshipped and no evil done and manly behaviour maintained. Julius Caesar wrote of the Druids that they were concerned with the stars and their movements, the size of the cosmos and the earth, the world of nature and the power and might of the immortal gods, indicating they were involved with astronomy, theology and astrology. He also wrote of Druids recognising one leader as holding all authority who would rule until their death. A vote or conflict would determine a successor. He also claimed the Druids would meet annually at a sacred place in the Gaul region occupied by the Carnute tribe. They viewed Britain as the centre for all studies. Many scholars have criticised Julius Caesar's accounts, yet archaeologist Miranda Aldhouse Green commends him as providing our richest textual source regarding the Druids and one of the most reliable. She argues it is unlikely he would have needed to create a fictional entire class system, not to mention that many Roman senators would have accompanied him and also sent reports back to Rome to advise on the conquest. They would all have experienced much the same as Caesar, so could have challenged any falsifications he could have made. It is said that the main reason for decline in Druid orders was from the Roman conquest. Roman writer Tacitus, senator and historian, describes how when the Roman army attacked the island of Mona, the legionaries were all struck on landing by the appearance of a band of Druids, who, with hands uplifted to the sky, poured forth terrible imprecations, which are curses, on the heads of the invaders. He says these terrified our soldiers, who had never seen such a thing before. The courage of the Romans, however, soon overcame such fears. According to the Roman historian, the Britons were put to flight and the sacred groves of Mona were cut down. So Mona is said to be in Anglesey. Tacitus is also the only primary source that gives accounts of Druids in Britain, but maintains a hostile point of view, seeing them as ignorant savages. Druids play a prominent role in Irish folklore, often serving kings as high-ranking priests who possess the gift of prophecy and hold many mysterious abilities. There are also a number of female Druids in Irish mythology. There were many female Druids. They were considered as equals to male Druids, which was highly unusual for an ancient community. Druid women could take part in wars and even divorce their husbands. Druids appeared in many medieval Christianised tales where they were depicted as sorcerers, opposing the coming of Christianity. Most of the tales were written by Christian monks. Early Irish sagas see the Druid held in high social status. However, with the coming of Christianity in the 7th and 8th century, the Druid began to be reduced to being depicted as a mere sorcerer, consulted to cast spells and carry out healing magic. 
Around 3500 BC, stone monuments, burial mounds and individual standing stones began to be built. Stones that reached up to the heavens, symbolising their connection with the earth and the sky. Stone circles would often be oriented to the rising or the setting of the sun, the moon or certain stars. Stars such as Arcturus, the fourth brightest star in the sky and others. These were used to predict when solstices and equinoxes would take place. They used engineering skills that we find hard to fathom today. They drew upon their thousands of years of knowledge of the stars, how the sun and moon moved across the year. The greatest of many of these monuments are, of course, in the southwest of England, upon Salisbury Plain at Stonehenge, which some say was created for ceremonies and calculating eclipses. The Stonehenge Sarsen Stones stand at 40 feet high. The stones are positioned so you can see the midsummer sun entering the gateway made with two standing stones. At dawn on the summer solstice, the sun's rays penetrate Stonehenge's horseshoe or cauldron shape of stones to bring fertility to the land for another year. There are many different theories in regards to Stonehenge and its links to the Druids, which I won't delve into on this episode. However, we will look more into the connection with Druids and the land on other episodes. Around 600 CE, Druidry seemingly disappeared for around 1000 years, likely being observed in secret until it re-emerged around the 18th century. One of my most favourite things I've learned in regards to the Druids is that a romantic notion is that the Druids were the magicians of Atlantis. Some believe that when Atlantis sunk beneath the waves, some took boats and sailed to America and the shores of Ireland and Britain. It is believed that this could be why much of Druid practice is very similar to Native American practice both having a huge reverence for the natural world, sacred circles and honouring the directions. They both work with animal guides and live by the concept of the land being sacred. The Druids, much like Native Americans, used sweat houses, which are similar to sweat lodges. So to give you an idea of what a sweat house was, modern day sweat lodges are usually held in circular lodges. Some use teepees or pits covered with branches or tree trunks. Overall, they are used for purification rituals. They encourage introspection, communion with the earth, renewal of bonds. They can take place over a number of hours. It can be a purification ritual to give thanks, to heal, to seek wisdom, to purify the mind, body and soul. Sometimes the fire keepers may use tobacco, cedar or sweet grass as an offering based on Native American style sweat lodge practices. As the firekeeper pours water on the rocks to create steam, they will often say prayers. The ritual will either take place in silence or can include ritual drumming or chanting. I would absolutely love to do this. Never done it before. 
Some other similar links between the Druids and Native Americans are using feathers in ceremonial headdresses and clothing, not to mention, of course, their knowledge of trees, herbs, plants and animals and collections of myths and stories. Indigenous traditions and Druidry all have reached similar universal principles. So I'm just going to say a little goodbye to you here, witches, because I'm going to finish up the episode today with a little segment again from the book, The Book of English Magic by Philip Cargom and Richard Haygate. You may want to take a couple of moments to ground yourself, so perhaps pause the episode, sit down, close your eyes and think on this. To get a feel for what the Druids were like, Imagine you are in a forest clearing somewhere in England at the time Caesar was writing, about 50 BC, perhaps on Salisbury Plain with the great stones of Stonehenge standing on the horizon, just visible through the trees. Even at this time, Stonehenge was already over 2,000 years old, built in another age by a people long gone. The stars are starting to appear in the sky and you turn to the blazing fire as the bard begins his tale. He tells a story of a magical battle between two heroes in which good triumphs over evil and the virtues of bravery, plain speaking and honour are upheld. His story over, a flagon of mead is passed amongst the company until an ovate stands and draws everyone's attention to the stars which now shine brightly overhead. As he talks a little of the star lore, he learnt from his old teacher, a string of dark clouds passes across the moon. A woman seated in the shadows begins to utter a prediction. Based upon her reading of the clouds and all turn to her, since she is the chief druid of their clan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.